set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Good evening, people. Open with a song. A classic song. God in heaven, and here am I on earth. So I'll let my words be few. Can't hear me at all. There we go. Jesus, I am so in love with you. Not hearing it at all, really. Kind of. And I'll stand in awe of you. Yes, I'll stand in awe of you. And I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. I don't know one of you can hear me okay, because I'm coming in and out my own headset. The simplest of all our songs, I'd want to sing to you. So I'll let my words be few. And I'll stand in awe of you. Stand in awe of you. Yes, I'll stand in awe of you. And I'll let my words be you. I'll stand 
song from a million years ago yeah it was quite some time ago my mic or the cord or something is going in and out so hopefully you'll be able to hear what we're doing here hopefully randall's thing let's see here is that it's coming through okay all right so it's workable is it Yeah, I don't know uh, where the... Um... I turned the volume on my phone up so I could hear it. Okay. Now I can. Okay, so it's... Okay, so now I'm turning it down. Now I can't hear it. <laughs> okay, well, whoever, you know, if you guys can't hear me at some point, then let me know. Just so you know, that would be super, super awesome. Okay, I thought tonight I might actually wear my glasses so I could see even though it's still blurry. <laughs> well, it's not that far away from your face. Well, the be wearing your glasses. My, I know. Well, my problem is, is that these are for distance. Right. And I can see that good, but I can see it better. But then I can't see my computer screen. <laughs> you know what, people? True story. Two years ago when I had to start wearing these, I was like, I refuse, I refuse to go back to glasses full time. I refuse, I say. <laughs> but now I think I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to. So, you know, and it's so funny because all my friends who are, who are like in their 50s, you know, mid 40s, early 50s are like, they're like, oh, no. <laughs> Our vision is all like, you know, going downhill. But anyway, so today what I wanted to do, until I need these, is um, I wanted to um, uh, open the show by sharing with you a couple of things uh, that, you know, I, w I wanted to share with you. And then Randall's going to jump into the Bible study. Uh, hey, Mia, I know you're over there. And I know that there's some of you on Periscope, but I'm not seeing who you are for whatever reason. Um, because I'm just not, but whatever, that's all right. And if you're on YouTube, I'm sure Randall's going to see it. And if you're listening to the archive, that's super awesome as well. Do me a favor. Let me know if you know me locally, tell me in person. If you don't, then send us an email or something and just let us know that you're tuning into the archive over on iTunes or any of the other almost 20 platforms we have the show on through Anchor, a whole bunch of places. So. Uh, so yesterday we were talking about the word of faith movement a little bit, and we we're talking about the whole idea of healing and, you know, what does it take to get healed by God? You know, I mean, that's really a, a kind of a pressing topic, right? Um, and so I thought, you know what, I'm going to actually uh, go ahead and I'm going to, um, I'm going to read the gospel of Mark just for fun. And I'm going to read it with the intent to look at what Jesus did when he healed people. And I want to, I want to share with you um, something that I think is really interesting uh, that I discovered. And I think I'm going to do this, uh, you know, do this kind of share with you some of the things that I've seen. So Periscope isn't working for you, Mia. Yeah, it doesn't appear to be working. 
really. I mean, it's I'm logged in, but there's nobody in there. So my guess is it's not working because last night it seemed to be working pretty good. Um, so hopefully those of you who are normal watchers and stuff, you know, you can find a platform to find on. But before I say anything else, I have to say happy birthday to Golden Voice. Elbert, hey, if you're listening or watching today or whenever it was, I know that your birthday just happened and I want to say happy birthday to you because you are probably by far the number one person that shares all my stuff on Facebook and you've been doing it for a long time and you know when you and me talked, I found out what a golden voice you have. Oh my gosh, your voice. You have this voice. <laughs> you should be doing radio or TV or something. Uh, so anyway, I hope your birthday has gone good and I hope that, um, you know, you get to live forever, you know, I mean, you will, but you know what I'm saying? I hope you just, I hope whatever remaining years you have on this earth are, are awesome. <laughs> so there you go. Okay. So much. <sighs> so for that. Okay. So I wanted to open up to Mark chapter two, uh, here, and I wanted to share with you something that I kind of thought was interesting. And there are other chapters in Mark that we could go through. But for now, let's start at Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I don't know if Randall's going to put that up or not. I can rush to do that. Okay, you don't have to. Only if you want. I figured if you did and you put it on the screen, then I could wear my glasses and look all scholarly. I can look all like intellectual and like an owl. Yeah, I could. You know. Because there we go. Yeah, I'm not even really sure that's as good. <laughs> but whatever, I, I can still read it. Yeah, I can. I just need new glasses. That's basically what I need. So I shall read this. Uh, Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, says, And when he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room, even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic. Did I say that right? I said that right, right. Yeah. Carried, carried by four men, and being unable to get to him because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and when they had dug an opening they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying and jesus and jesus seeing their faith said to the paralytic my son your sins are forgiven okay so here's the first thing i want to point out so whose faith did jesus see there whose faith was it people it was the faith of the four men. It was not the faith of the paralytic. Because he, it, it could be, okay, it could be implied, I, I should say. It could be implied that the faith of the paralytic was in there because, because it was a group effort, the four and the paralytic, okay? So it goes on to say, beginning in verse uh, five, and Jesus seeing their faith said to the paralytic, my son, your sins are forgiven. Uh-huh. Pretty key thing, right? Now, 
Um, but there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Arise and take up your pallet and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your pallet. And go home and he and he rose and immediately took up the pallet and went out in the sight of all so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying we have never seen anything like this okay so here's a couple of things that you know I'll point out here uh, number one thing is that you know faith was involved in the action of the the four men who were taking the paralytic and they were bringing them to Christ. There was faith there in bringing the person to Christ, okay, for the hope of healing. But the thing that that is, I think, overlooked, especially in the Word of Faith movement, is that the Word of Faith movement just completely just glosses over the whole fact that Jesus forgave the guy first of his sins, thereby equating himself with God. And this is, and if you keep reading in Mark, you'll see that. You'll see that the the leaders got ticked off at him because he equated himself with God by, well, who is he to say that he could, you know, forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Well, Jesus is God, right? So, so that's one thing. Um, and the second thing is that Jesus actually healed the paralytic to make a point to the leaders. Not because, not so much because the paralytic was begging for healing or, or, or even saying, have mercy on me, heal me, or anything like that. Jesus' motivation was to say, hey, what's easier for me to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your pallet and go home? Well, just so you know that I have authority on heaven, you know, on earth as well as on he in heaven, I'm just going to say, go ahead and do that. And it's really interesting, too, because... Um, it really does go back to God's sovereignty. And, and I will say that one of the other things I mentioned yesterday, you know, I talked about how so many in the charismatic movement and these other people, they'll always say things like, you know, I'm going to bind Satan. I'm going to stomp him under my feet. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I, you know, Satan, get out and Satan, do this and Satan, blah, 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 blah. But so far in my reading through the gospel of Mark, any time that demons were involved in Jesus's ministry, any time you see that, if you read the text very carefully, what you'll note is that Jesus responded to the demons' comments first. Jesus didn't walk around going, hey, demon, get out of that garrison, you know, legion. Hey, demon, get out of that. You know, he didn't, he didn't engage the demons by talking to them first. In fact, it's kind of interesting because the demons, what they did was they started beseeching the Lord Jesus and saying, Holy one, you know, don't do, you know, don't do, are you going to torment me? You know, <laughs> and Jesus would tell the demon to, re to shut up 
to, and he rebuked them and basically said, hey, you know what? I don't want anybody to know who I am yet. You know who I am, but <laughs> this isn't happening right now. So be quiet. And and everybody was amazed because the Lord had that authority and, you know, fear and amazement and awe, you know, followed everywhere, um, you know, where, where everybody was, all the crowds and multitudes that were following Christ. So so just take note of those two things. And in the coming days, I'm going to continue to go through this. Maybe even during the week, I'll do a couple of little short devotionals and kind of, you know, look at this, look at really, you know, how Jesus really healed. And in order to help all of us realize, look, that so much of the gospel, well, the gospel isn't being taught really in the word of faith movement. It's just not, it's frankly not being taught many places. <laughs> But what I will say is that the other thing that kind of gets glossed over when you look at Christ and the whole gospel message is why he came. He came to forgive us of our sin. And that is rarely talked about in Word of Faith, Prosperity, Gospel places because all they're talking about is putting the devil under your feet and, and you know, and all this other stuff. And it's like, you know what? If you look at the beginning message that Jesus came, he said, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent and be saved for the forgiveness of your sin. And that is the biggest difference between an unbeliever and a believer, a follower of Christ and somebody who doesn't follow Christ is that their sins are forgiven. If you're a follower of Christ, your big advantage in life is that your sins are forgiven. You're walking away, you're walking around with a clean conscience. Your slate is wiped. It's clean. You've been forgiven by, as we say, the blood of the lamb because you have. And the weight of guilt and sin, the unbeliever carries around with them and they try everything that they can to get rid of their guilt and they can't. But they just fall into deeper and deeper uh, depression or addiction or whatever it is so that they can numb their conscience because they know that they have sinned. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So anyway, those are just a couple of things to think about. Uh, Randall tonight is going to be looking at um, the temptation of, of Christ, which, you know, we all know there's, there's a lot there. And um, so I will commend rest of the program to you, Bearface. I know it's not your real name, but do you have any thoughts on what I just said? Or do you want to just... Um, yeah, I'm going to touch on some of what you just said because we're dealing with the devil, Satan. And uh, can you turn my mic level up a little bit? It's a little lower than... Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we're going to be looking at that... Um, just the dynamics between Christ and Satan and how it's nothing like the uh, uh, the presumptuous words of those who would bind Satan and stomp him under their feet and et cetera, et cetera. There's nothing like that when the Lord himself is dealing with the adversary and how much you know, more should we, you know, be in his follow example. And we're going to talk about uh, the many representations, his representations of, well, mankind of Israel and of believers 
and the temptation. But um, cool. Anyway, so so, so <laughs> long answer to your question. Any comments? Yes, and they're coming, especially in that part when it comes to comes to demons and especially Satan himself. Okay. Asatan. All right, people. I see JD is there on uh, Periscope. One one person, JK, Joe, Joe, rather. Just Joe and Jim are over there. And whoever's on YouTube, hello. And I don't know who else is out there. But wherever you are, there you are. That was deeply profound, wasn't it, people? Okay, I'm going to be quiet and let Randall talk. There you are. Okay. All right, folks. Um... This episode brought to you by, well, actually, it is brought to you by uh, Ariel Ministries. Want to get that up front? Ariel Ministries, find them online at ariel.org. They've been gracious and faithful in supporting our ministry, being partners in the ministry of the gospel. Uh, they offer uh, just a wealth of resources uh, Bible teaching from a Messianic Jewish perspective, or as I just say, biblical. <laughs> Messianic Jewish perspective is biblical. It's not Western European. It's not Protestant. It's not Methodist, whatever, you know, Lutheran. It's, it's, it's biblical uh, because the Bible is a book written by Jewish authors. And uh, it's got a decidedly Jewish perspective, and the book is about the Messiah, so the, a Messianic Jewish perspective is a biblical perspective. So I encourage you to head on over to ariel.org. Right now they're having a 30% off sale. I don't know how long that lasts. Uh, last night during the show I was trying to find the limit of that. So you can go over there and use whatever code they tell you. I think it's code 30. You can save 30%, but at other times... Uh, after that sale is over, you'll want to use Bible News as the coupon code, which will save you 20%, uh, which is pretty significant. So uh, be sure to check that out. If you don't know what to get, um, head over to BibleNewsRadio.com and check out the resources menu option there. And we have a list of recommended resources, most of them from Ariel Ministries, because the stuff is just that good. And some of the stuff I'm sharing tonight I I got out of what uh, you know Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum has said uh, about the temptation, and I'm pretty sure, since it's in the Yeshua Life of Messiah from a Messianic Jewish perspective, uh, books that it is something that we went over um, um, on weekends in the words, weekends in the word, as it was uh, several months ago. Anyway, but now just Sundays in the scriptures, just one day instead of two days. Anyway, so shout out. Uh, so the topic for tonight comes from uh, my brother from another mother, uh, Kelly Byshack over there in California, uh, California. And uh, he brought this question while we were talking on the phone the other day about um, why the temptation of the Lord of Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, why that took place immediately after his baptism. What's with that? I don't know if I'll answer that definitively uh, this evening, but certainly uh, give us some food for thought and study as well. I mean, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture uh, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, and that's where I get my stuff. So anyway, from, well, from, you know, uh, other commentators, uh, 
primarily uh, Dr. Fruchtenbaum. Uh, but then other things, just as scriptures come to mind, I pray if you look at the word, then you know other scriptures come to mind, and it's just it's just wild how uh, scriptures interconnect. And anyway, best commentary in scripture, is scripture. So with that, let's get into it, and let's get into it prayerfully, shall we? Father God, you're an awesome God, worthy of all glory and honor and blessing, power and praise. We're thankful. Uh, and grateful, Lord, for this, thy word, which you have preserved uh, throughout the ages for our instruction, uh, for equipping and righteousness, that we might know you and uh, know what it means to follow you. As we look into your word, we pray that you would give us uh, spirits that are sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Uh, Give us the mind of Christ. Give us eyes to see. And um, Lord, lead us in the way that we should walk. Uh, for we offer ourselves and this time to you, to use as you will for our good, your glory. We ask it in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, pulling up my notes here, not on the screen because um, I don't want to clutter things up. But so tonight, be looking at uh, exploring why the temptation of Yeshua had to take place immediately after his baptism. And uh, number two, uh, the many representations of Yeshua during these temptations. Now, the temptation of the Messiah, of Yeshua, is recorded in three of the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, Mark just dedicates two verses to it. But then, of course, much of Mark's Gospel is like that. You'll see that he uses the word euthus in there, the Greek word euthus, which means immediately. Translated in English is immediately, and it has a sense of action. It's going, going, going. And it's the shortest of the Gospels because it's it's a gospel of action. Anyway, so Mark just dedicates all of, or allocates rather, uh, two verses to the temptation. Doesn't get into detail. And then Luke chapter 4. Uh, uh, dedicates most verses to it, but that's not surprising since Luke, you read in beginning in chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, uh, you know, he interviewed many eyewitnesses and he set things in order. And so we know um, the gospel of Luke is in chronological order, things that happen, and he brings in lots of details from several witnesses instead of just the perspective of maybe one or a few. And so, although the uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, talking about the temptation, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 4, who uh, allocates an additional two verses and um, is slightly more detailed. So, find my window that's got the scripture in it from uh, Luke chapter 4. Um, And then this, all right, again, using the King, um, uh, the KJV here could be using lots of um, different English versions, um, but I don't know, I just felt like using the KJV this evening. And uh, again, those of you who know me and been, you know, long-time viewers, listeners, you know that I'm not a KJV-only person. It's a good translation. It's got some challenges. 
because it's um, 17th century English, well, it was updated in the 18th century as well. Made some changes, including some corrections. There were some typos in the 1611 version, quite a few actually. And anyway, it's it's a, it's a good translation. It's translated from majority chat, majority text. And my primary affinity for the King James Version, the old King James, is that because English in the 17th and for a while in the 18th century uh, maintained a difference between um, singular and plural second person, which is important when looking at some scriptures, whether it's addressed to an individual or multiple people, uh, thou versus you, singular, plural, uh, uh, you versus ye, or you and ye, the same thing, or, you know, thou and you, singular, plural, uh, thee and ye, singular, plural. Anyway, that was for free. Back to Luke chapter 4. So we read, and Jesus being full of the Holy Ghost, now this is immediately after his baptism, you can look at Matthew chapter 3 and Luke previous chapter as well. Um, so this is immediately following his baptism and, and Luke places it in that chronological order and we know that his gospel is chronological and sequential so it uh, did follow, it was the next event in his life. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, that's where he's baptized, right? And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. Now, this idea that he was led by the Spirit, he was full of the Holy Ghost. Uh, we saw at the baptism, the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, um, but uh, he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And this Greek word for led is, think of a conductor or uh, you know being conducted or, or a tour guide. There's a good analogy. Tour guide is not someone who you know puts a hook in your mouth and, and draws you off to somewhere. But hey, come this way and it leads you on. Uh, they guide the way, if you will. You know what a tour guide, right? Um, you know, you can choose to follow or not follow. Uh, but that's the sense that the lead here is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, basically says, "Come this way," and um, and Yeshua does. He, he follows. Um, Mark puts it. Um, boy, that was long. Uh, Mark in Mark's two verses, Mark chapter one verse twelve, he says, "The Spirit driveth him." If you look at the King James. Um, but it, again, the idea is not, a, a compelling, it's a leading and similar here as we just, uh, you know, Matthew chapter four, let up of the spirit, Matthew's gospel says, and here in Luke chapter four, we see, uh, led by the spirit. All right. Back to the text here. Um, where's my window? Here we go. There it is. <laughs> All right. Um, oh, one more thing to say. The connection with the baptism. Uh, well, all right. Let's get the idea that the, the, this temptation is necessary. He's full of the Holy Ghost and he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is immediately uh, following the baptism. So this isn't a... This isn't, uh, a 
an unfortunate turn of events. This is not um, an inevitable calamity or, yeah, it had to happen, but it's just unfortunate to happen at this time. He's led by the Spirit. This is, this is not something Satan ordained. This is something Holy Spirit ordained. The Spirit led him into the wilderness. The Spirit led him up into the wilderness. Um, and in, uh, in Matthew's Gospel, which I unfortunately closed earlier, um, give me about 15 seconds to pull that back up. I know I said we were going to stick in Luke. But I thought it was interesting uh, in in Matthew's gospel. Yeah, verse 1, chapter 4 says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Um, so that was the reason for it. So again, the idea is not that this unfortunate turn of events, uh, not that Satan ambushed him, sprung it upon him, Yeshua was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and as Matthew's gospel says, to be tempted uh, by the devil, that it was by divine design that he go there. So why, you know, why then? This is Spirit-led, and this is immediately after the baptism. Well, if we look, um, bring myself back on, <laughs> connection with baptism, if you look in Matthew chapter 3, in Matthew's account of the baptism, um, you recall that Yochanan, uh, John the Baptist, uh, when he says, hey, you know, I need to be baptized of you, um, you know, you're coming to me, basically, and Yeshua declares, for thus becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. So he was about fulfilling righteousness, fulfilling all righteousness. And then we have two verses later, the Father declaring the voice from the heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Um, uh, declaring his identity there. Uh, Yeshua declaring his purpose to fulfill all righteousness. And the Father declaring his identity. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So with that mission and identity stated, the first thing that has to happen is this temptation. Well, why does that have to happen then? And hopefully it becomes more clear as we go. As we look at um, his representation of multiple parties, if you will, uh, in in this time of temptation. We see that he's uh, being 40 days tempted of the devil. In those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Um, now I've heard uh, maybe two <laughs> sermons on this, but it's interesting that and he fasted 40 days. Is that possible? Yes. Um, Bill Bright um, uh, has gone on record many times before his passing to have done that more than once, fasted for 40 days. He drank fluids, but took no food for 40 days. That's, that's discipline right there. And Luke tells us that afterward, he afterward hungered. Now, well, of course, aren't you hungry on day one, day two? Um, 
as I understand it, the most I've ever fasted is for four days, and I was it wasn't for it wasn't for spiritual reasons. It's because that was BC and I was messed up, and <laughs> I had emotional problems. I had spiritual problems, really, and uh, just didn't eat sometimes just because I was distracted. But why I went on not eating is because I found that. Um, um, f you know, after four days, you know, my stomach was kind of, kind of upset. I didn't feel really well, but then I thought maybe I should eat. And then I would eat and the sick that I felt from having something in my stomach was worse than not having something in my stomach. And so I didn't feel like eating because eating made me sick. Uh, just really uh, totally upset my stomach. But what I've what I've heard, perhaps I've read. I don't remember. I'm an old man. Um, that that um, that's significant because after 40 days of no food, just similar to where like I wasn't interested in eating after four days, just because I really didn't feel hungry. I ate because I thought I should, and and like I say, it didn't go well. It just like ugh, I got really sick and like oh, I'm not gonna eat again. And I'd go for another four days without eating. Um, but I've, but apparently, uh, after 40 days, one feels that hunger again. Instead of that just abiding emptiness, there's something about your body that just cries out, oh man, I, I really need to eat something. You know, the first few days you're kind of hungry, and then a few days after that, it just kind of comes empty stomach becomes normal but after 40 days of nothing your stomach no stomach not working on anything uh then it's just uh an intense craving for food so um after uh you know and when they ended the 40 days he afterward hungered. So that puts him in a, a state, in a physical state of just absolute, just intense hunger, like needing to eat something now. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, as it waited, 40 days he's out there. <laughs> and the devil comes and says, if thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. Now, seems, um, you know, he could do something about it as the Son of God. And as we learn from Scripture, though the Word of God is the agent of creation, the Word become flesh. Uh, John, John's Gospel, chapter 1, tells him that nothing that is made without him was whatever, basically... Um, couple different translations because in my head but basically there's nothing that exists that didn't that exists without him that everything exists is because him the things that were created were by him and and we going back to the old testament uh from genesis chapter one and several new testament verses we could work look at but that's not our subject for tonight uh he is the son of god the word of god is the agent of of creation so he could he could do that he it was within his power to, to have to turn stones into bread he could create bread from nothing he could have um 
made them from uh, uh, thin air, you know. But uh, the temptation here is, if thou be the Son of God, command the stone to be that it be made bread. You know, you know, we heard forty some days ago that this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. This is the way you substantiate your identity: is you create something that you need. You do something for your flesh. You're really hungry right now. The way you establish your identity as the Son of God is that you fulfill your fleshly needs. And um, no, that's not the way to establish identity as the Son of God. He said to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, he said that the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many, etc., uh, etc. Et there, there were many signs and, and wonders and etc and fulfilled prophecies to establish his identity as the son of god uh, not to do miracles for his own sake um and jesus answered him saying it is written that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of god not saying without bread but by every word of god and it's interesting that that uh, quotation comes from Deuteronomy, and it's in the context of God giving manna. And um, love to get into all that, but you know, later uh, Yeshua Jesus identifies himself as the bread, the true bread from heaven, and there's a whole connection there. That I'm going to set that aside, even though it'd be because we got like 19 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole study on its own but so the temptation is there hey establish your identity by fulfilling your own needs not not the messiah that we know who made himself of no reputation took on the form of a man took on the form of a servant beating to death even death at the cross this continual selflessness uh, not establishing identity by selfishness uh, which the devil tempted to do. Verse 5. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain, and this taking him up, uh, one word in the Greek, um, and it's basically the same idea as the spirit leading him, like a, a, a tour guide um, leading him. Jesus could go or not go. Um, and taking him up, it has the prefix ana, which means up or again. And, but in context, since it's a high mountain, it's probably leading him up. So the the devil led him up uh, into a high mountain and shewed him or showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And now flat earthers look at this and say that, well, earth is flat because how else you know, could he see all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time at one time? You know, didn't uh, circumnavigate a globe to see um, all the kingdoms. He could see them all from from uh, a high mountain. So, I'm while I've read some good arguments for a flat Earth, uh, I've never read a good explanation of seasons and and the the tropics, you know, Capricorn and Cancer, and then and then uh, sunrise and sunset times, and and eclipses, lunar and solar, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't, especially the seasons, 
haven't found a convincing argument from a fat, flat earth perspective. That one was for free. Um, just curious. So I'm going to pop out here to um, somewhere. That's the... Hmm. Oddly, nothing going on in YouTube. Does, is this thing on? Is this thing on? Yeah, hmm. Kind of unusual not to see anything on any activity. Uh, Mia said Periscope isn't working for me over in uh, Facebook. So, well, let's hope that the uh, replays do something. Uh, and the word does get out uh, this evening somehow. Um, but anyway, so the devil uh, takes him up into a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Uh, whether that's a supernatural sort of thing, uh, that they, you know, uh, in a moment of time, uh, if it was, you know, another dimensional kind of thing, I don't know. We can speculate about that. Uh, the word is I see it doesn't give us a definitive answer. What is important is verse 6, And the devil said unto him, All this power I will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that it is delivered unto me, and to whomever I will I give it. Now that's important there, that the scripture refers to Satan as the prince of the power of the air. Um, and and the, the God of this world. Um, we look at this world and we think of God, the true and living God, maker of heaven and earth, as God, and he is. Um, he is the grand architect and ruler of it all, but there is a local sort of ruler of this world, this planet, this world system, uh, the God of this world and worldly things is is satan and and that could take us into revelation and the title deed of the earth and all sorts of things but um the devil says uh specifically says for that is delivered unto me and to whomever I will I give it though the at least the kingdoms of the world are in his power, his possession, and his authority. And he's willing to give them up. Under what condition? If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Um, it's like, okay, you're not going to establish your identity by fulfilling your own fleshly needs. Forget that temptation. Well, I know that I know that you you know, you took on human flesh, um, you know, even to the point of entering the world through a birth canal or and um and that he's come to fulfill righteousness and um and I don't know if at that time Hasatan, the adversary, Satan, the devil, knew of the ultimate plan for uh, Christ to give his life on the cross. I'm not sure about that. Um, I don't know. But 
you know, the devil's not omniscient, but the Old Testament had long since been written. I'm sure Satan was familiar with it then, and and the if you read it carefully, uh, you know that there in the Law and the Prophets and the Writings is the prophecies of the Messiah and his death and his resurrection. So maybe he understood that. Um, so, okay, so you're not willing to establish your identity by fulfilling, by being selfish. Well, I know that it looks like you're going to establish your identity by being selfless uh, so that you can redeem, you know, the kingdoms of the earth and become king of kings, lord of lords. Um, but how about we just short circuit that? You don't have to go through all that stuff. You don't have to humble yourself. Certainly not humble yourself to death, anything like that. Why don't we just take a shortcut? I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. They're in my power. I will give them to you. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. His response, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Uh, again, a direct quotation uh, from Deuteronomy. And uh, going on, verse 9, and he brought him to Yerushalayim, um, and same idea, led him up there, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. Um, now, a pinnacle of the temple. Now, the temple compound, Herod's temple, didn't have a, a big spire or, you know, big bell tower like Protestant churches uh, often have or used to have. Um, uh, the word pinnacle there um, speaks of a bird's wing. Uh, I'm trying to think of the Greek word, uh, tarot. Um, okay, I'm looking it up. I'm going to cheat. Um, yeah, uh uh, uh, Terugion, and uh, you're probably you dinosaur uh, buffs, maybe familiar with the word pterodactyl and uh, PT, and uh, same root of a bird. Uh, uh, basically, uh, Pterugion. Uh, 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 is the idea of, of of a bird and a bird's wing. So there's some speculation on this, but it seems like the conventional wisdom is this would have been uh, a porch, Solomon's porch, that is, that is on the Temple Mount there, uh, the Temple Complex, but that that highest point in elevation, not necessarily um, the temple building but the temple complex the highest point is that point that overlooks the uh kidron valley and we talked last week about the death of judas wasn't it last week we were talking about that how the corpse thrown over the wall that's like a 700 foot drop from uh would have been from there down the down the canyon uh well you know into the valley whatever it's like a canyon um from that Temple Mount, that part of it, Solomon's porch, down to, which is why the body of Judas Ishkariot, the man from Kariot, um, when his corpse was thrown over, you know, his entrails gushed out because 700 feet is a long way to fall, uh, especially for corpse. 
Um, and then, so this, you know, conventional wisdom said this is where, um, this would have been the, the pinnacle of the temple, the Terugion. I said on Timothy Pemple said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest that any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Now, Matthew puts the temptations in a different order. He has the the temple first, you know, and then the showing the kingdoms if you just bow down. But given that Luke's gospel is chronological, and he says so at the front, I'm inclined to think that this is the order of the temptations, which makes a lot more sense to me, because first it's, hey, uh, I, you know, establish your identity through your selfishness. No, here's the word of God says this, the man, you know, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, well then... Um, forget the let's do the short term and get what you're after you're looking to become the king of kings lord of lords uh you know uh, ruler of all the world so um just hey fall down right now and worship me and says get thee behind me satan for it is written thou shalt worship the lord thy god and him only shall they serve now i kind of imagine in this order satan saying oh well this is the way we're going to play it's the word of God. Well, I know it too. You know, I know the Old Testament too. Um, it says, well, why don't you, um, if you are the son of God, you know, he's saying, you, um, uh, poking at that identity that had just been established uh, by the voice of the Father God at the baptism. Hey, if you are the son of God, cast yourself down from that. Ah, because it is written. Uh, see, I can play that game, too, if you're going to say, it's written, it is written. Well, this is what's written, so why don't you do this? Um, verse 12, And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed him for a season. Um, because we see him coming back through Judas Iscariot, the scripture tells us specifically that Satan entered uh, Judas. Uh, so he departed him for, for a season. Now when he had ended all the temptation, um, now that's interesting. Um, John, John tells us in his first epistle uh, to not love the world. Uh, John chapter 1 verse John, 1 John chapter 2 uh, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. What did we just see in these temptations? The lust of the flesh, hey, command that these stones be made to bread. Um, the lust of the eyes, well, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Hey, you can have these if you just bow down and worship me. And the pride of life. Hey, if if you're the son of God, you can you can establish your identity in front of everyone. We can, you you can, you know, throw yourself down. The angels will bear you up. And what greater testimony is there than that? In front, of, you know, in front of 
hundreds, thousands of witnesses right now, you can, you can look great, you can establish your identity not only by not dying, taking the 700-foot drop, but angels bearing you up. I mean, man, that's, that's a way to really stand out in the crowd. The pride of life, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all that is in the world. He was tempted with all that is in the world, and more than just this situation, I'm sure, in his human life, uh, there were temptations, but they, other temptations, but they had to do, they come down to those three categories, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses and was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. So, um, he, uh, you know, tempted by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. All right. Uh, coming up on the top of the hour here, um, I want to talk about these representations. First of all, in that not just being the Son of God as he is, uh, Yeshua in that temptation represented all of mankind. Uh, we read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, um, uh, verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam, speaking of Yeshua, speaking of Messiah, was made a quickening spirit. How be it that which that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and that which and and as is the heavenly, such are they that are also heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. I probably read too far because I wanted to talk about how Yeshua represented um, all believers. But all mankind, uh, because the first Adam, Ha'adam, the man that we read about in Genesis, he yielded to temptation, right? You can eat of every tree except the one. And he yielded to temptation, subjecting all of mankind to sin. The second Adam, the Lord of heaven, Yeshua, resisted temptation, delivering mankind from sin. So the first Adam yielded temptation, subjecting all of mankind to sin. The second Adam, the second man, uh, Adam, you know, the prototype, if you will, uh, as the spiritual man, resisted temptation, delivering mankind from sin. So... Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, in um, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, that, you know, he was tempted in all ways we are, yet without sin, unlike us. And so it was our substitute from Adam, the first man on down, we've been yielding to temptation, yielding to sin, being subject to sin and subject to death. And so he came along. Messiah Yeshua uh, in our stead as our representative and resisted temptation here. 
delivering man, ultimately delivering mankind from sin. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And the only way he can be a mediator between God and man is if he represents both parties. He's fully God, fully man. Whole nother, whole nother study, wild stuff. Anyway, so he represented all of mankind in that temptation uh, with the devil. Number two, he represented Yisrael, the people Yisrael. Um, uh, Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, uh, we read, uh, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, this is God, Father God, instructing, or is it God the Son, sure, who appeared in the burning bush. Anyway, the Godhead, remember the Godhead, uh, maybe it was the Holy Spirit, uh, told Moses, spoke to Moses, said, Thou shalt say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Yisrael is my son, my firstborn. And, and here we have, uh, according to the flesh, um, a Jew, also called the Son of God, and the firstborn, um, and, and firstborn in the sense of that um, position as in the firstborn. And it's a whole nother commentary and study in, in, in Jewish thought and uh, culture. But as the Son of God, he also represented the people Israel. This temptation took place where? In the wilderness. Where was his people, Israel, the chosen people, during their trials or temptations in the wilderness? Uh, for how long? For 40 years. This is only 40 days, but there's that number 40 of completion again, uh, which you find out in the scripture. 40 is a number of... Uh, of completion, like the whole ball of wax. Then it's... And it's interesting when the, as we just read in Luke, when the devil had finished all of his temptations, uh, you know, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, it was this idea of completion. And so there's that, with that 40 days there, is, um, is a representation of God's people, Israel, And all of the quotations that Yeshua comes back with in response to uh, the devil are from the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which is in coming from Greek uh, means second law, but it is uh, a rehearsal of the law and a preparation for the people entering the promised land. That second generation, you know, the first generation wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and then the second generation except for Yehoshua and Kalev, Joshua and Caleb, they were of that first generation. They were allowed into the promised land. But Deuteronomy is about preparing that next generation to inherit the promised land. And so isn't that interesting that the Messiah comes and all his scripture references in response to Satan um, are from Deuteronomy. All right, now, as for representing all believers, um, Yeshua resisted the devil. Um, we are told in, in, in James and in Peter, you know, to resist the devil, um, to draw near to God. You draw near to you. Um, that 
that um, you know we're not supposed to uh, engage the devil, but resist him. Uh, both Peter and Jude write, for even Michael, the archangel, did not uh, rail against Satan, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So here we have an archangel, you know, in the hierarchy of angelic host, archangel, Michael or Michael, um, he says, he says, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't say, hey, Satan, I put you under my feet, or I, uh, you know, I bind you. And <laughs> he said, the Lord rebuke you. Here's Here's a powerful angel that didn't even consider himself to take Satan one-on-one -on -one and said, the Lord rebuke you. So he resisted the devil. And we and we see none of that in well, the Son of God himself and what we just read in Luke chapter 4. This is in Matthew chapter 4. He doesn't do any of this, bind you, Satan, and, and take authority over you. And not even in his own name. He just used the word of God. He resisted the devil. And he didn't resist the devil with any supernatural um ways but just just by sheer willpower resisting temptation and as his strength the word of god the word of god was his defense so i think is a representative of believers in him believers in messiah we should take that cue from him that when it comes to temptation and there are just temptations being countered just because of our flesh that aren't from the devil. Um, but anything that is not of God, you know, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are not from the Father, but of the world. When those things come along, um, how do we combat? We resist, and the Word of God is our strength. The Word of God is our defense and those things. Yeshua was led by the Spirit and to be tempted the spirit doesn't lead us to be tempted um for god is not tempted nor does he tempt anyone james um uh you know we're led in temptation by our own uh lust but when we when we confront those things it's, it's resist and use the word of god as our defense and yeshua did it we uh, should be able to do it, uh, you know, standing on his word. And with him is our example. And furthermore, we have him interceding for us. Uh, we also have the strength of the Holy Spirit, but we have Messiah himself uh, interceding for us. Anyway, 9.06 p.m. Central Time, where, hey, some folks there... Uh, do you think the earth is enc is enclosed in a plane? Uh, hey, just checking in, peeps, and J.D. says goodnight, popped in. Uh, is Jesus also Melchizedek, George Thompson asks. Now, that's interesting. Uh, earth in an enclosed plane? Well, I do think that the universe is finite. Uh, and that's because the universe isn't infinitely small. And I'm going to have a video about that someday. Uh, we know that even though there are subatomic particles and quarks, uh, there's something called Planck's constant. You can look it up, and, and experiments have been done. Um, we know that the universe isn't infinitely small, so if it's not infinitely small, why would it be infinitely large? Um, and I know it's hard to comprehend 
the end of space. Um, but we know space and time has a beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, he created the, the when and the where and the what. <laughs> the what. The what had to have a where, a, a place to put it, and had to have a when. Because when would you put it? The, the universe as we knew it, know it, the physical universe, had its origin at a time. Well, time began with the time-space continuum. You can't have time without space or space without time. They're contiguous because they demand each other. You can't have space without time because, you know, I'm <laughs> space with my hands from here to here. It takes time for me to point over and distance requires time and yeah. Um, and time is irrelevant if there's no space, so they go together. Anyway, so do I think there is enclosed in a plane? I don't know if it's a plane, but it, it is enclosed in something. It's, uh, it's inside of God somehow. God is outside of time and space. In him we live and move and have our being. How that all works in the realm of physics, too big for my little brain. But, yeah, I do think there is a finite universe because it's not infinitely small. I think it stands to reason that it's not infinitely large. And given that it had a beginning, then there has to be limits on both ends. There's a limit to its smallness. There's likely a limit to its largeness. And so what's beyond... There really isn't a beyond because there isn't space beyond space because there's no time nor space beyond. There's dimensionless beyond the dimensions that we know. That's a mind-numbing thing. Uh, I think it was David Hitt, H-I-T-T, -T, that wrote a uh, basically a lengthy essay called Dimensionlessness where he explores that whole topic. It's fascinating to read. Um and then, is Jesus also Melchizedek? Well, that's interesting. Um, uh, you know, we read about Melch Melchizedek or Melchizedek, Melech King, Zedek, righteousness, Melchizedek, uh, King of righteousness, in, in Genesis and his um, encounter with Abraham. And then, of course, in the Psalms, Psalm, um, I don't know. Uh, thou art, you know, thou hast declared, you know, and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the, according to the order of Melchizedek, is what, is what uh, the Lord declares concerning the Messiah in the Psalms. Uh, so, as a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, that is not of the Aaronic priesthood through the line of Levi through Levi. Um, but then it's interesting that he. That he's also called the the king of peace, um, and many pros in the writer of Hebrews, of course, is that he's an order. Uh, the Yeshua is a priest after the court, order of Melchizedek, quoting from the Psalms, and and makes allusion to the uh, Genesis passage, and doesn't outright say that they're one and the same, but I think maybe they could have been that. Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, was a, they say in theology, a theophany, a, a physical appearance of the Son of God or the Word of God 
before he became the man Jesus. Mind-numbing stuff, but yeah, it could be. Do I think, well, is Jesus Melchizedek? Is Yeshua Melchizedek? I don't know for sure. I'm inclined to think so, but I can't say, you know, definitively. And George also asks on YouTube, are stars suns? Is the sun a star? Well, based on what we know with telescopes and spectroscopy and that kind of thing, there seem to be uh, similarities. And, you know, no human being that I know of has ever been to another star or another solar system. Um, there's been deceptions from demonic beings uh, presenting themselves as beings from another galaxy. Um, they are extraterrestrials, but I think they're from other dimensions rather than other solar systems. That's a whole other topic. Um, so our star suns, I don't know. There seem to be similarities with our sun and other stars, again, just based on um, visual uh, telescope spectroscopy or spectroscopic analysis and uh, radio telescope, uh, you know, exploration. But until, if it's possible, somebody gets there, who can say definitively? All right, that's YouTube. Facebook, not anything there for a while. Twitch, anybody out there on Mixer yakking it up? Right, I guess uh, some of the other platforms, especially Periscope, are having issues, and I can't. Can I see if I can pull up the broadcast there? Yeah, I see people there. J.D. Kenny, Sean Mucci, and Kennedy Sharon is over there. Um, See if I can type in a comment. Is this thing on? Now? So, let's go in there. I will take this as a sign to start wrapping this thing up, kids. So, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lift up his countenance upon you. Give you peace. And as your sweet and lovable host would say, um at the end of every broadcast and I will encourage you to do the same that's to be bold stand up and go with God because he loves you and contemplate what Messiah has done for you thanks and good night